0: So once again, thank you for being here tonight. I do want to welcome everybody and all those listening on our podcast channel. Uh, This evening, we're going to be starting a new book, the Old Testament book of Joshua. It's a great book. There's a lot of stuff that happens in there. So we're going to start off at Joshua chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up, take them out to there. If you use your phone or your tablet, that's fine too. Uh, Now the setup for this book... What's happening is, up to this point, Moses had been very successful. He led the people out of slavery in Egypt, right? He led them through the wilderness, the desert. He parted the Red Sea. They got God's laws, the Ten Commandments. And through this whole process, he helped define them as a people, as a nation, as God's people, right? He showed them that God had a plan for them and for this earth. And now... Just before they actually enter the promised land, the land that was promised to their ancestor uh, David, Abraham, excuse me, Moses, his time on earth comes to an end. He dies, he's buried, and now this new leader has emerged, one who's gonna assume the mantle of Moses uh, and lead the people into the promised land, the land that they were promised. But what we're gonna see is this man, his name is Joshua, his job is way bigger than just simply leading the people into the land, like, here, there it is, let's go. It's way more than that. He's going to have to be a good leader, a leader that stays focused on God, a leader that keeps the people focused on God, right? And as we're going to see as we study this book, that's going to be a tall order at sometimes, right? This is big, but this is actually where our story picks up. So now let's read the first two chapters, and let's see how the story begins. First two verses, excuse me, Joshua 1, uh, verses 1 and 2. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, who is Moses' aide, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. So what we've read here is it's really simple, it's straightforward. But in those two verses, we get to see a lot. First of all, we see there's a purpose. We also see there's responsibility that they have, that Joshua had, And then we, also, we can also see that there is a plan. God's not going, well, let's go this way now. There's a whole plan to everything, right? We learn that Moses died, but we're also told very directly, very bluntly, that he was a servant of God. Moses had a rock-solid purpose. He followed that purpose. And now that he's gone, that purpose is still there. That responsibility is now going to fall on Joshua's shoulders, right? And he's not just some average person that God picked. Joshua was Moses' aide, his number two, right? In all likelihood, Joshua had been purposefully placed in that position a long time ago to train him up. So he got to see how all this works. He got to see how God talked to his people, how he he, uh, gave his messages, how he expected his uh, followers to follow him right? And then just as importantly, how his servants are, they're going to take that message and teach it to the people, right? And hold them responsible. So God even says, now then, you, Joshua, and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River, right? And all along, we can kind of see there, he's saying, don't stop, don't get comfortable. You're going to be heading out to the land that I promised you. And what's most important is this, this message of keep moving. This is not, you know, Moses passed away yet. This isn't, don't, pitch your tents don't plant some crops we need to stay focused he's not going to allow the people to be idle to come up with new ways to disobey him or get entangled with a foreign nation right he's saying yes your trusted leader who led you um, into freedom has died you've been through a lot but this is not about one person i am your god there is a plan right i'm the one who freed you i'm the one who provided for you in the desert i'm sending you into the promised land so he's saying keep moving stay focused Keep your head in the game. And then at the same time, he also reminds them of the importance of their destination. And that's going to be in verses 3 and 4. He says, I will give you, I will give you every place where you set your foot. As I promised Moses, your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the West. So now God's giving them this physical description of exactly what he's going to be giving them. Right? And he says, every place they set their feet, every place they stop to rest, pitch their tent, feed their families. And he specifically said it goes all the way from this desert area to Lebanon, to the Euphrates River, all the way to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. He gives them the boundaries of this land that he's promised them. And this is a gift, but they're still going to go have to in, into this land and claim it. This land is not empty. The people are not being handed the winning lottery ticket, and all they do is cash it and get this huge check, and, you know, everybody's rich. He's sending them into this land, right, so they can actually possess it, take hold of it, and then hold on to it, right? There's a lot to come. There's a lot they're going to have to do. Let's move on to verses 5 and 6. This gives us an idea of what's coming. He says, no one will will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give to them. Now, this sounds really great, what God's saying to Joshua. It is. But there's some specific words we need to focus on because they're incredibly important. And they probably don't stand out as much as they should when you first read it. Because, for instance, God says, I will never leave you or, or forsake you. Sounds awesome, right? Like, oh, that's great. But there's more to it than that. because This is how my mind works. Why would God feel the need to say that right then? Especially now, they're on the edge of the promised land, the land that was promised to their ancestor, right? These people were slaves in Egypt. He freed them. They're in the desert. He fed them. He took care of them, parted the Red Sea, gave them all this stuff. Now they're standing on the edge of the promised land. And now God says, don't worry, I'm not gonna leave you or forsake you. Why would you say that? Why would we think that's going to, you did all this for us. What does, what does that mean? Wait a minute. I didn't think there was a risk of that. Does that mean we might leave you? I mean, why bring that up? It's an odd thing to say right then. For example, imagine getting on an airplane. The pilot gets on the intercom. I'm going to do my best, right? It's going to be great. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Ryan Airways. I want you to know no matter what happens, I am going to safely land this plane. That's all. Why would you say that? Of course you're going to land the plane. Why would God have to say now, I will never leave you? Because there's a lot coming. He wants wants Joshua to know, there's going to be a lot happening. No matter what, I'm not going to leave you. So when you let that sink in that way, you think, oh my goodness, there is a lot coming on, right? Right? There's going to be some bumpy roads up ahead, right? God, notice also God says, be strong and courageous. Strong and courageous, which seems fine, but also you have to wonder, what is coming that Joshua is going to need to be strong and courageous for? But you're going to see as we read through this the rest of the night, that's not the only time you're going to hear those words, be strong and courageous. You're going to hear it a total of four times. Four times. So whatever is about to unfold, God expects them to be what? Strong and courageous. All right? That almost almost certainly means there are going to be some tough times ahead. So let's continue into verses 7 and 8. And we're going to see God get very specific about what Joshua and the people are to do. This is their responsibility. Look at the next few words. Be strong and very courageous. One more time, okay. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave to you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night. So that you may be careful to do everything written in it then you will be prosperous and successful okay so there's that phrase again be strong and courageous right now you probably also noted how god gave joshua a series of commands and warnings and what would happen if they didn't follow right he says be careful to obey all the laws you were given it doesn't mean you follow like 95 percent ish you know get a b plus in that category right don't, he he's not saying follow it if you like it, only in part. It means he says you have to follow it completely, wholeheartedly, every one of you, completely. He told Joshua, don't turn to the right, don't turn to the left, which indicates there's going to be time, times, oh, it would just so much be easier if we just went just a smidge, just around that one one, just that one lot, just a little. It's not a big deal. Down the road, now this is just a little bit this way. Not a big deal. God's saying, You can't do that. This is the only way you can go. You cannot go to the right. You cannot go to the left. Your only option is the way I've laid out for you. And God says, Do that because then you will be successful. So their success depends in part on doing what? things straight. Straight. Follow the law. Don't follow the law and you're not going to have the same success. And to help Joshua, Joshua in particular stay focused, God gets specific about how close, this is interesting, how close he needs to keep those laws. God says keep the book of the law always on your lips. Always. Meditate on it day and night. That means read it. Sit there. Think about it that you may be careful to do everything written in it. And he says, then, then you will be prosperous and successful. So read the law, recite it, reread it. Read it aloud, recite it out loud, read it again. Always be talking about the law, you and the people. This means it's not acceptable to only talk about it on the Sabbath, like it's our Sunday. This is not a a one-day-a-week thing. This is every day. It's always to be on their lips all the time then they'll be prosperous and successful which clearly suggests if they don't do that what's gonna happen yeah right there's a lot riding on this now we got to keep in mind these this people this nation did not come from a strong nation with a rich culture. These people, these Israelites, do not have a huge, big capital city around the corner. If things go bad, they can run back behind the city walls. They don't have this protected area full of crops that are planted, and everything's gonna be okay. This is it. They have nothing else. They have no home. They have no real identity as a nation yet. If this fails, there is nothing to fall back on. It's back into the desert, wandering. These people were freed from slavery 40 years ago. They lived in the, nomads in the desert carrying everything on their backs. And now as they begin their new life, they're going to have to closely follow God. This is a very serious time, but it's also a lot of excitement because now they finally have their home in view, a home that their God is giving to them. Let's proceed to verses uh, 9 and 11. Look what God says. Have I not commanded you? What's he say? Be strong and courageous. Okay, I get it, God. I get it. Then he says what? Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp, tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan, Jordan right here, and go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. Again, we said there's a command to be strong and courageous. God says, don't be afraid, don't be discouraged, which tells us that at some point in this promised land, there is going to be significant problems. They're going to encounter situations that are going to cause them to be afraid. They're going to see things that will cause them to lose their courage and to prepare them for that eventuality. God is repeating himself. I will be with you. Be strong, be courageous. He's reminding them that he is their God. He is in control. He brought them out of slavery by his mighty hand. He is the one sending them into this promised land. The whole time he's saying, I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. He's building them up their hearts and their minds. This is a God who cares for his people. He wants them to be successful. He wants them to trust him. And so in addition to being mentally and spiritually prepared, verse 10 tells us Joshua sends his officers through the camp. He tells them to be physically prepared. Get your provisions ready. Remember, there's no grocery store nearby. There's no Walmart, Publix, there's no Amazon. It's going to be at least another 20 years before they get that. (laughs) They're going to have to prepare all their food ahead of time. I just see if you guys are paying attention. Probably like 30 or 40-ish, but you know what I mean. Food, water, clothes, weapons, bandages, everything they have to carry with them. And they're told in three days, you're gonna move out, three days. Now, like so many things with God, we operate on whose time? His time. I imagine there would have been lots of people in the camp. I probably would have been one of them. One of them like, why don't we go tonight? Why don't we go in the cover of darkness? That'd be really smart. They'd never see us but we operate on God's timing. And usually I found the biggest reason we don't like to wait because we think that we're ready. We think that we know what we need, right? We have all all we need. I I know what's going on. We think we understand the risks. We know our strengths and our weaknesses, right? So let's go. But there's a problem. We don't understand it all. We think we understand God's plan. We think we understand what we're supposed to do. But in reality, a lot of times we're way off. We run in this direction with a sledgehammer going after a gnat when really God was saying, no, just go this way. The gnat's not the problem. And when we do this, it doesn't mean that we're unintelligent or bad Christians or have bad motives. In fact, just use the opposite. We really care. We're motivated. We want to do things. We're gung-ho. The hard part, though, is discerning our will for God's. It happens. Great example of this is Peter. When he denied Jesus three times, Peter was getting ahead of God's plan. Let me show you. It's in Luke 22. Simon, Simon, this is Jesus talking. Behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, which means you're going to lose your faith, when you come back, strengthen your brother's. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus says, uh, Peter, Peter, the rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. So believe it or not, in this passage, we see Peter getting way ahead of Jesus. Jesus even tells him, Satan just asked me to have you. And I prayed that your faith will not fail. And when you come back, strengthen your brother." Before even Peter gives us a chance to seek in, he says, no, but I'm ready. I will die for you. I am going to die. I'm right there. Where's Peter's head? He's like 10 miles ahead of Jesus. Jesus is like, I don't need anybody to die for me. That's not what I'm asking. What I need from you is your faith to remain strong. And I need you to be there for your brothers. Peter's like, no, no, I'll take a bullet for you. I'm right there. He's like, that's not what I'm asking you. It's almost like they're kind of having a similar conversation, but you know they're not. And Peter, who's very much human like us, he's 10 steps ahead of Jesus solving a problem that doesn't need to be solved. Jesus even told him, listen, you're going to deny me three times. You're going to hear a rooster crow. Peter's like, no, no, I'm going to take a bullet for you. What happens? Peter denies him exactly the way Jesus said. Remember, Peter had wonderful intentions. He really did. He believed in Jesus Christ, and I believe he would have died for Jesus. But Jesus was face-to-face with him having a conversation, and he's off trying to solve a problem that Jesus didn't need him to solve. Jesus wanted him to keep his faith. Much like God is telling Joshua to be strong, be courageous. That's what Jesus is wanting from Peter. Be strong, be courageous. You don't understand the devil asked for you by name. Tonight, be strong. You're going to need your faith. There's so much more to come. But this message should give us a lot of courage because it tells us that difficult times, when we go through tough times, they're not a sign that God has abandoned us. God may be allowing you to walk through that difficult space to build you up. He may need you on the other side to be there for other people, just like with Peter. So it's not always about you. Sure, you may be the one being strengthened at that time, but he may need you to help somebody in that same spot just down the road. Think about fire. This is a great example. Firemen go through a lot of training to make sure they're strong enough, tough enough, brave enough to do what? Run into burning buildings. God may be toughening you up for something similar. The Old Testament, the New Testament, are full of stories of God doing just that lots of people. Everything about the disciples that they went through is about that. They got to spend lots of time with Jesus, which would have been awesome. They got to see lots of miracles, which would have been awesome, right? They learned amazing things from Jesus Christ, stuff that we hope to learn as well. The question is, why did all that happen? Why were they shown those things? Why were they taught those things? Because they were being trained to do what? take that message out into the world alone a world that would be unwelcoming unforgiving they were going to be harassed they're going to be whipped and beaten and all but one of the disciples died a horrible death did they not and they did it willingly so that we would know about Jesus Christ each one of them did that so 2000 years later on the other side of the earth we would have a chance to know about Jesus Christ when they began following jesus christ there's no way in their minds they could have comprehended what was coming there's no way they understood how far how successful the gospel would be they didn't know but we know they very much did one thing right and that was trust jesus christ they remained strong and courageous they went where he said go they stopped when he said stop they waited when he said wait and above all they kept their faith Each one of us here is here because of them. Now let's continue in our story. uh, Joshua 1, let's read verses 12 to 15. He says, but to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you after he said, the Lord your God will give you rest on this land. Your wives, your children, your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you "'East of the Jordan. "'But all your fighting men, be ready for battle. "'They must cross over ahead of your fellow Israelites. "'You are to help them until the Lord gives them rest, "'as he has done for you, "'and until they too have taken possession of the land "'the Lord your God is giving them. "'After that, you may go back and occupy your own land, "'which Moses, the servant of the Lord, "'gave you east of the Jordan towards the sunrise.'" So really what's happening here is a couple tribes, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the tribe of Manasseh, they were already, they had just been given previously land, their own promised land, east of the Jordan River. So on one side of the river, a few of the tribes had already been given their land. They were done. They were setting up, you know, nice little houses, picket fence, two-and-a-half car garage, all that good stuff, right? And what God was saying is, women and children, you guys can stay here. The men, the fighting men, must cross over with everyone else. They are going to help their brothers and sisters who don't have their land yet. They're going to fight. They're going to secure that land. and They're going to stay there helping them until everybody gets their land. Then they can go back home, right? And this is an important concept for us to understand as well. What God is saying that we are all of one body. When one of us is suffering, all of us need to help. We should always come together. There's a cool verse actually in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that talks about this. Uh, Verses 25 and 26, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So even before this verse was written, written, God was encouraging the Israelites to live this out. They're one body. They must help each other achieve their portion of the promised land. It's only once all the tribes have their portion, that everyone else can relax, go home and settle in. So we come to an interesting portion of our story for today. God has spoken to Joshua. He's made the expectations clear. They're to follow the law, right? They're not to veer off to the right or to the left. Everywhere they set their foot, he is gonna give them. They're to be strong and courageous. They're to keep the law on their lips and meditate on it day and night. They're to work together as a group, right? The job is not done until all the job is done. But lastly, they're not to move forward until God tells them the time is right. So Joshua takes all this information and he gives it to the people piece by piece, A through Z. As a good leader, he shares everything, the rules, the expectations. And he places himself right in the middle. Just like Moses, he takes the driver, so he takes all the responsibility He is there. He wants them to be successful. And this is where it gets interesting. So now, the next few verses, now the people have heard everything, right? Everything we've talked about, the Israelites have heard. This is their response back to Joshua, verses 16 to 18. Then they answered Joshua, whatever you have commanded us, we will do. Wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will Obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey it, whatever you may command them, will be put to death. And look what they say to Joshua. Only be strong and courageous. This is the people talking to Joshua. Notice again, this is a big response, and I believe it was made in, in sincerity. But let's be honest, what they just said involves a lot. And the penalties for failing are huge. For example, the people state publicly, whatever you have commanded us, we will do. Wherever you send us, we will go. That's a lofty statement, right? Because they have not been to war as a people before. And that's what they're about to do. Maintaining that those promises is going to be difficult. Going wherever God calls them without complaining, without whining is going to be a tall order. Because remember, this is the same nation that repeatedly, after God freed them from slavery, they complained an awful lot, if you remember the story. They they complained that he brought them out in the desert only to let them starve. They complained, you brought us out here to let us die of thirst. You complained, they complained, you brought us out here and now we can see the Egyptian army coming, the Red Sea here, now we're just going to get murdered. We should have just stayed there. They always found something to complain about. But let's be fair to them. Nothing like that had ever happened to anybody. We know the story. So it's like Monday morning quarterback. We know how it adds. We're like, oh, I would have never done that. I would have totally stood on the banks of the Red Sea and be like, oh, it'll be fine. Trust me. Wait like 20 minutes. Watch. They didn't know. They had no idea that as the Egyptian army was bearing down on them, God was about to part a sea so they could walk by, walk through on dry land. That was crazy. They had no idea when they ran out of food, food was going to fall from heaven, and they'd just pick it up off the ground and eat it. That had never happened before. They didn't know that was possible. And now God had kept his word. They're on the edge of the promised land about to go in. Before they go in, they're rehashing all their responsibilities. They came from the desert, right? They had nothing behind them. Now they're this entering this promised land, but it's populated with people. There's already large cities, other nations. They're going to have to conquer those cities, drive those people out, take control of that area. So now it's vitally important they understand what's expected of them. This is why they respond that way. God, you did all that you said you would do. You remain faithful. So now wherever you're going to send us, we're going to go. Whatever you command us to do, we're going to do. That's, a, that's really, It's that's got to give them credit, that's a wonderful statement by people who now realize he is their God. They are his people. He can be trusted. He can be followed when the way gets tough. Even if they can't see what's about to happen down the road, around the corner, they can trust him. They understand that his laws are good, really good. So they respond in unison, we will obey you. And in a very unique but telling indication that they do understand the difficulty ahead, they look at Joshua and said, only you be strong and courageous. That's the people telling Joshua that. They know they're going to need a leader who is strong and courageous. They know they need a leader who's going to have more faith than them. They need someone who's going to hold them accountable, bring them back into line, keep them focused on God. They know they're going to pull them a little to the They're going to try to pull them a little to the left. That's a telling statement. It's very honest. It's also surprising how much they, how self-aware they are. But again, they're honest. They're up front about their desire to be close to God. The minute they go, of course, they want someone to bring them back. That's honorable. That's commendable. And let's be honest, that's far better than how the Israelites behaved when they were first freed from slavery. When they were first free, they were people, they were lost. They struggled with their own identity. They struggled with their relationship with God. But now they have faith. Now they're cohesive. Now they understand their limitations, and they're asking for help in the future when that happens. That's a lesson for each one of us. So this actually starts to bring us now to what we can learn from the Israelites ourselves. We need to have the same faith that they do. The same conviction that they had. We need to be able to look at God and say, whatever you command us, we will do. Wherever you send me, I will go. We also need to say, make our pastors and our elders strong, courageous. If we start to go to the right or to the left, have them bring us back. We are your people. We want to follow you. We want to follow your plan for our lives, just like the Israelites did. So now as we begin to wrap this up for tonight, we do need to focus on each one of us here because that's where the story ultimately takes us because this is about faith. So this is what we want to do. Two things. First of all, if there is somebody here who has not yet accepted Jesus Christ, we always want to give you that opportunity. We want to invite you to do that. To invite him into your heart. Because that's where it starts. Nothing will happen until you believe in Jesus Christ. Nothing will change until you realize you're a sinner and need to be forgiven. So what we're going to do is we're going to pray. And in that prayer, we're going to give you that opportunity. All you have to do is say the words that I say. Repeat them after me. But also in that prayer, for each one of us here, we're going to be pray, we're gonna pray that each one of us trusts in God the way the Israelites did. That we're going to trust that God will send us wherever he needs to send us, that we will follow, that we will trust him when we can't see to the right or to the left or what's around the corner. We're going to do whatever he commands us to do. We're going to pray for our leaders to be strong and courageous, to help us when we're weak and to guide us, to keep us on track. But Most of all, we're going to pray for God to use us the way he used the Israelites, the way he used the disciples, because that's our true purpose here. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I believe in your son, Jesus Christ. I believe that you sent him to this earth. You sent him to die on the cross for my sins, and I believe that you raised him from the dead. Today I ask to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I ask him to come into my life and to make me new. I ask him to forgive me, to save me, to train me up and to guide my steps for the rest of my life. Father, today, we as a church, we as individuals, we pray to have trust in you. We pray to trust you the way the Israelites did. To go where you say go, to follow all of your commands, to trust you when we can't see what the next steps are. We are your people and we place you first in our lives. Help us to view the world through your lens and to trust most of all in your timing. Father, Tonight, we also pray for our pastors and our elders to be strong and courageous, to lead us, to keep us on track. Father, we pray that if we ever begin to turn to the right or to the left, that you, through the leaders, would bring us back. We place our trust in you. We want to have a strong relationship with you. You are our God. We are your people. Father, we pray that as our faith grows for each one of us, you're going to use us as you see fit. Use us to expand your kingdom. Give us opportunities to use our unique unique talents that you've given each one of us. Each one of us is capable of moving mountains through you. Father, we thank you for the life that you've given us. We thank you for the church, but most of all, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we ask all these things. Amen.